Welcome to another episode of the Ask a CISO podcast, powered by Harangi, Asia's leader in cloud security. Every episode, you get insider tips and insights into current challenges and newest trends in cybersecurity from the world's best experts to help level up your cybersecurity career. Here's your host, Paul Hadji, to introduce today's guest. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. Welcome to today's episode of Ask a CISO podcast. I'm Jeremy Snyder filling in for your regularly scheduled host, Paul Haji. I'm joining you from the US today and I will be a semi-regular host going forward. So you will hear more speakers joining us from North America in time zones that you may not have heard uh, on the podcast in the past. And today I am thrilled to be uh, joined by Anthony Johnson from Delvrisk. Anthony is a distinguished person in the InfoSec space. He's the former CISO at multiple Fortune 100 companies and is currently the managing partner at Delvrisk. We'll hear a little bit more about Delvrisk later on in today's episode, but Anthony has led some of the largest global cybersecurity programs in financial services and is a passionate advocate for addressing the issues of diversity and inclusion within the IT domains. Anthony, I know that's actually only part of the story of you and your career, and we could take the whole episode just talking about some of the things you've done and some of the great teams and experiences that you've had over the course of your career. But in addition to kind of what I've laid out, what do you think are some of the most interesting or important things that you'd like to share with the, the listeners today? I think that probably the besides being a, a bit of a cyber geek, and really just, you know, loving and enjoying just talking about the industry, I like talking about and emphasizing the people side. And that goes beyond just like talent and what skills you need, but actually like how companies work and, you know, how promotions work. And and, and there's so many of these tribal knowledge rules that we we kind of live in and play in or how purchases work, right? Like, yeah. like how all of that kind of stuff comes together. So those are all really big pieces for me. Um, yeah. And they've, they've definitely influenced how I built Delve Risk and what we're doing there as well, so. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. And I think it's often overlooked by those of us who are technologists by background. We think yeah. of cybersecurity as being a technical problem. And I, I, to a large extent, I think that is true. It's a technical problem. It's a data science problem in a way. And we tend to look for technical solutions to technical problems. But at the end of the day, as you said, it comes back largely to the people who are running this technology and how well you can get them to work together and understand the goals of the organization, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what really what really breaks down are it's it's and I think if you look at like over the past 20, 30 years of how we've been trying to solve IT or solve cybersecurity issues, what really makes the difference between really successful organizations isn't whether they have enough money to buy the newest thing. It actually comes down to does the team trust each other and do they trust who they're working with? Because when you have that type of trust, they solve all sorts of crazy problems in really yeah. innovative ways. And I think that great technology solutions enable them to kind of do do things almost in spite of themselves as an organization, right? Like yeah. processes are too painful or whatever that is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can find the numerous examples of really high-performing teams that were seriously budget-constrained and Absolutely. but had great team culture, great team chemistry and great trust, as you say, and did wonderful things. So, yeah, that's awesome. So today's topic, one of the things I wanted to get in with you and you and I have had previous conversations on this topic a little bit, but I want to kind of break it down for the listeners today. And that's really the Gartner Magic Quadrant. 
this is kind of, let's say from a vendor perspective, and I come from the vendor world, you know, working at multiple software and technology companies, but from the vendor perspective, this is one of those things that we're always striving for. We all want to be a part of that magic quadrant. And for anybody who's not familiar, you know, it really is kind of a four quadrant layout that breaks down on an X axis and a Y axis, right? And on the X axis, if we look kind of left to right, we've got completeness of vision. And then on the Y axis, we've got that ability to execute. And we'll share a standard image of this in the show notes for today's episode. Or, or of course, you can just Google Gartner Magic Quadrant and you'll see, you know, gazillions of examples of magic quadrants. But when we kind of put those two axes together and we overlay them, we break out into these four quadrants where we've got the bottom left, that's our niche players. We've got the top left, which is our challengers. We've got the bottom right, who are our visionaries. And then we've got the top right, which is our leaders. And of course, you know, every technology vendor, every provider wants to be in that top right quadrant, in the leaders quadrant. But I guess to just kind of kick the conversation off, how would you say you and your past experience as a CISO, I guess first question is, did you look at these regularly? Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with Gartner. I think there's a lot of, you know, security leaders and a lot of people in the industry do, right? They do some yes. really, really great things. The manager quadrant is is one of those, I don't want to say necessary evils because they, I think that it, it does add some good value. But I would actually look at this and look at where it's at in the manager quadrant to confirm an assumption of what I would be looking for and then to possibly utilize it to get additional buy-in, right? Okay. Uh, when... There are there are times when you're looking at a technology solution where you are doing something and solving a very myopic or specific problem that it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, the well-established market leader. Okay. Right. You want something where you can say, hey, it's it's solving a unique problem. We can we can go with a niche player or we can go with, you know, one of the other quadrants here. But when you're looking for something that's truly a leader, you're trying to get a different level of confirmation. When I mean, okay. you're trying to get that confirmation from perhaps other C your CIO who says, you know, hey, where are they fitting in industry? You're like, oh, they're the they're the top right magic quadrant. Like, oh, okay, that kind of gives them, you know, that fuzzy warm blanket because that right. assumes or implies certain things. But what you would find is that the magic quadrant is based off of, or, you know, a, a particular set of assumptions that Gartner is using to, to kind of measure that. And that might not be your, your environment, right? That might not be the solution set and, and other tools, maturity, training, whatever it is that kind of makes it your totality. And a really, really great example might just be, you have a ton of resources that are already trained in something that's, you know, in the challenger. Okay. And they, they know how to do it really, really well. They know how to use that tool set. Well, for whatever reason, they've, you know, maybe you hired them as a team writ large. And in order to adopt something in the leader category, you have to retrain your team. Right. Right. And that's a cost that the vendors won't actually mention as much. So, you know, yeah, of course. Of the, oh, it's the software, it's the hardware, it's the whatever. And you're like, all right, now my team has to learn a totally new application. Yes, it works in the magic quadrant top leader, but it does integrate into our other solutions. And this challenger one already has those integrations built in. So yeah. I think it's a good directional roadmap if you're looking for that confirmation or if you're just trying to, you know, you're really uneducated about that space, maybe figure out which players are where. But it's, it is really important to, to still go out and have that 
deeper analysis and conversation of what you're looking for specifically. So is it fair to say, though, if you have, let's say, let's say you have zero footprint in, I don't know, let's say the attack surface coverage that you're looking to solve for or something like that, you've got no previous experience, you've got kind of no previous implementation in that space, your team members don't have previous experience from, you know, past jobs or whatever. In a case like that, where you're really looking at something fresh, in that case, are you more inclined towards that top right or are you still very open when you don't have any kind of, let's say, background or history in an area? For me personally, I would still be very open. Okay. Here's, here's why. Sometimes companies buy a product because they need to, one, they need to solve a problem. Like, so, right. so just kind of put that aside. But sometimes they buy a product because a lot of their peers have also given that validation that, hey, this is a good product. It works well. I get the right responses. Sometimes they buy a product, though, because they want to be able to influence the direction of that product. Right. right. And so they might say, hey, I could act, absolutely go with product A that's in the leader category, but I don't like the way product A is do is where they're going. Like, I, I, I don't Roadmap, like direction, strategy. Exactly, right? Yeah. So I might go with product B because my purchase gets me a bigger voice in that roadmap direction and strategy there, right? I might have a better relationship or I might look at that team and be like, wow, I know that leadership team or the tech team, they've done some amazing things in the past at another company or whatever. And I'm actually investing in the team more so than than the product, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, go ahead. It, it, would you say in a case like that, so let's say we're not focused on that top right leaders quadrant, then though, would you be looking more towards, let's say the top left challengers quadrant where, you know, according to the the Gardner axes, the completeness of vision is lower, but the ability to execute is high. And you're saying that you as the customer might have a lot to contribute towards that vision. Or would you be looking more towards the visionary where you're saying like, they've got a great idea, they've got the great, or let's say the great beginning of an idea. And we're going to invest in this company as a strategic customer because we know our investment is going to help them increase their ability to execute or, or is it oh, not quite that cut and dry? I think, well, I think it's, it, it's, it actually is almost, it is that cut and dry, but it depends on, on the situation, right? Like okay. an example. So when I was at, at JP Morgan, I actually carved out a percentage of my budget. I'm saying Fannie Mae, a percentage of my budget for a new and inventive in, in innovative tech. Right. Oh, that's interesting. We deliberately would not look for something in the top right quadrant. Right. Okay. We would deliberately look at every other thing. And then we would say, okay, we have this problem. Which team do we think that like, let's meet the tech teams. Right. Okay. Let's see where they're going. What's the vision. And sometimes that would actually also turn into an investment opportunity for our investment arm. That sure. Would say, Hey, you guys think this is great. We trust you as well. You're going to be able to help shape X, Y, or Z. Let's go ahead and make a big investment in the organization. So, so the company would then participate in, you know, maybe the next round. And I think it, it, it is an important piece of, of looking at both the tech, the organization. And it's, it's that combination of um, now, if you're like the bottom left, all the way, yep. you know, the, in the bottom left corner, that's probably a different conversation. You know, yeah. hopefully you, you, you kind of just came out, you know, just, you know, starting to kind of get that market awareness. But one thing I would like to call out is that I personally would rarely look at the Gartner quadrants, I, 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 meaning or the Gartner reports, 
I might look at the, the quadrant where they're at, you know, get that, that, that sense. But most of the time, if someone says, Hey, you know, I'm going to go look at the Gartner report. They're delegating that down to a direct yeah. report or somebody who yep. has access. Right. Um, I, I would say that probably very few security leaders themselves are logging in on a regular basis. That's my, yeah. I guess based off of my personal experience with peers, but so, so I do think you have to strike that right balance there. Got it. So is it fair to say you don't want to be bottom left? So if you're, if you're going to land on the quadrant anywhere, better to, better to land top left or bottom right than bottom left. I think so. I, 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 I definitely think so. And, and I, I would say it's probably even more important though, to understand if you're in one of those other two cat quadrants to have a really clear picture of where you're going, because okay. early stage companies, you know, even with like, Delve risk or, you know, any product that you, you, you might buy, like you're sometimes we, we, we think that we're buying a product or buying a thing because it meets that solution. I mean, it meets yeah. that itch. But most of the time, I, I think the security teams and, and leaders, they recognize like, Hey, this product isn't going to solve everything. Right. They're not even going to solve all the things they say they're going to solve. Sure. Right. But the question is, is like, do I trust that they're eventually going to get there? Yeah. Yeah. And because there's going to be the hiccups, there's going to be the bumps. And so a lot of times security leaders are buying or investing in that team and vision. So I would say wherever you're at, making sure you have a clean understanding of, you know, the, the vision of where you're going to, you know, talking about how your teams are doing these, these new innovative things to kind of solve that challenge. I think that's almost even more important than your market position. Because yep. you see some players just totally get disrupted and you're like, huh, I didn't see that one happen, but all of a sudden right. there's some new incumbents and they're, you know, they're hovering everywhere else in the quadrant too. Yeah. You've used a word a couple of times that I want to dive into for a second. That's really innovative. The question that I, that it brings to mind for me is, do you look more at these things when it is kind of a new area of technology versus let's say an established use case? Like let's take endpoint protection as an example, right? Whether it's EPP, whether you're more focused on kind of preventative endpoint protection platforms or whether it's, you know, EDR, endpoint detection in response, this is a category that's been around for 20 plus years, right? Sure. We've been dealing with antivirus, anti-malware, centralized logging, telemetry, blah, 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 off of the endpoint for a long time. That is a much more established category. But let's say we're talking about something like SaaS security posture management, SSPM. Is something like a magic quadrant more impactful in these new use cases versus the the long-term established ones, or it, does it make any difference for you? For me, it would probably make less of a of a difference simply because the the relative position of where they're at in the quadrant can shift so dramatically in the scope of a year, right? Like when you're seeing some of the some some truly in, in, innovative solutions. Sometimes they come out with something and you're like, wow, like that's a, that's yeah. a game changing right. feature or way to think about it. And I would expect in next year, they're in a totally different position in the quadrant. Right. And you, or sometimes you see people who are leaders fall off in a really dramatic way because they lost the credibility or they did something, didn't respond to something fast enough or appropriately enough. So I think that the quadrant view, at least for, for me and the number of the peers I talked to it's more directional, right? It's okay. directionally, hey, I can get there. But again, if I'm pitching a solution and, and trying to get buy-in from a bunch of other executives, it's always easier to be like, they're in the top right perspective of the quadrant. If they're in the 
top left or bottom right, then I'm having to, to, to talk up more of the, but you haven't seen the strategy. Like you, but they've got a killer team. They just did X, Y, or Z. And then you're selling more of the future state, I, I, I think, there. So there's a little bit of a parallel to the old adage that is, you know, no CIO ever got fired for buying IBM, Microsoft, IBM. Oracle, yeah. whatever, you know, over time. Okay. Yeah, that's fair yeah. enough. And, 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 and the reality is, like, that's a factor here, right? Like, you know, I've, I have a friend at a pretty sizable organization. Um, they have decided what their what their solutions should be. They're looking at it. I won't say what, what, what space, but they're looking at a particular solution. And they're like, hey, it's most cloud-focused. It's this, it's that. It's, you know, X, Y, or Z. And the rest of the leadership team uh, above them is like, hmm, I don't know that name. Yeah. Right. And like, but on the technical merit, you're like, oof, I think that that's the right solution. But we also have to realize that the OSI model isn't just say seven layers. Yeah. Like, there's the eighth layer, which is the yeah. political layer. Yeah. And people layer. Sometimes yeah. that political layer just trumps, but it's, but it is the most forward leaning. It is this. And it's like, yeah, but I don't know that I want to be the first one through that gate. Yeah. So there, there's that factor. So I think that there's yeah. a lot of value in the Gartner quadrants on the island helping with that too. Yeah. So there's that kind of organizational perspective on it, which is ties into another adage that I like, and you've probably heard culture eat strategy for breakfast. Yeah. You, know, you can bring in a product that has the best strategy, has the best vision, the best roadmap, maybe even the best technical capabilities today. But if the culture of your organization is not one that is of a mindset to bring in innovative solutions or solutions that work very differently from what you're used to, you know, yeah. to me, I think one of the ones over the last 10 years or so that I've seen more organizations struggle with than any other is SOAR, you know, yeah. um, security orchestration and automated yeah. response. Just because to me, automation is a cultural and an organizational constraint more than it is a technical constraint, right? We can automate things and we've been able to automate processes for, you know, 10 plus years at this point. But if your team's not comfortable with it, your organization's not comfortable with it, your auditors, your regulators aren't comfortable with it, you know, that's a real uphill battle to fight. It, it, it's super, it's super tough. I, we actually have a, uh, a large enterprise that we, we, we advise and they will not put, and this is the craziest thing, they won't even put a Microsoft product, particular Microsoft products in until Microsoft has been selling it for two to three years, right? Even Just though Microsoft- blank rule. Yeah, and it's it's just like they are so averse to any sort of a technology risk, right? And so they were looking at a particular Microsoft product, and they're like, yeah, but they've only been working and selling on selling that for about a year and a half. And you know, what's funny is that the the organization hired a bunch of really innovative, what we would classify as innovator technologists, to come in and change the tech tech stack and do these things. And um, they, so you know, these cyber leaders and tech leaders come in, they're like, oh, we're going to do this and this. And the rest of the corporate culture is like, yeah, but you know, I don't know where we kind of think about that. Micro, they're like, hold on, it's a Microsoft product. It's a, yeah. it's this, and like, yeah, yeah but we, we want yeah. to let let it get some more time to bake. Yeah. So you're right. And this culture, is talking about yeah, Microsoft, not my stealth mode startup. Exactly right. Um, yeah. Now there are other companies who who you can kind of say, hey, they're not even on the Gardner quadrant, but I've met the team. They're doing some amazing things. We're going to be able to get a great deal. And I think this is a, an interesting point. For me, I love innovation. I love innovative solutions. But what one thing I've talked about a lot is that I think integrated solutions are way more powerful. Yeah. 
And I've, it would be fascinating if you took the Gartner Quadrant and instead of just having these, you know, the most innovative leading, but you actually said, hey, which ones are the most integrated into the number of other solutions out there? Yeah. You would get different results, right? Yeah. Yeah. Make a 3D uh, magic quadrant here. A little you, bit like that uh, chess game that we used to see them play in Star Trek, where you've got, yeah. you know, the, the different layers of the, the board. layers, 3D chess, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I completely agree with you, by the way, on this point about integration. I think, you know, if we look at, I come from the cloud security background, as you know, and in cloud security for a long time, it was a very binary game. There were very simple, you know, like, yes, no, we had problems or we didn't have problems. And for a long time, that was the case. But what we started to see about two, three years ago was a real evolutionary shift away from these kind of accidental data breaches and accidental data exposures towards real attacks against cloud yeah. uh, platforms. And those, every single one of them that I've looked at or I've done root cause analysis on was a transversal of multiple kind of OSI layers of the attack surface. So to your point, this point about integration is so critical moving forward. So fully agree with you there. We've got just about two, three minutes to wrap up here. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe share with the audience, you know, kind of 30 seconds to a minute on what you guys are working on over there at sure. Delve Risk. I'm obviously familiar, but for those who haven't heard, uh, please. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. So over at Delve Risk, what, what we do is we've created a kind of a new way of doing market research. Most of our customers are sales and marketing teams that are trying to get a better sense of understanding the insights about, you know, large enterprises, you know, their preferences, how they function, priorities, all the research that your sales and marketing teams would want to do, we've already done for the majority of the, you know, the large buyers there. So, you know, we don't actually usually sell to enterprises. And so like even the references I mentioned, those are, you know, long friend relationships. We're like, hey, sure. We were in Vegas 10 years ago and yeah. you owe me a favor kind of thing. So we're like, yeah, oh, yeah, it yeah. didn't work. But it's 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 long way of saying, and I think this is relevant back to this conversation, is that there's a tremendous amount of data that's publicly accessible, publicly available, open source feedback, thoughts, you know, on forums where you can see what buyers think about a, a particular solution, right? Because when yeah. you ask a vendor, you're like, hey, tell me about your, your let me get some reference calls. They're never going to give you the reference that, that they struggled with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that using open source information is really important as well as the you know, Gartner quadrants and those types of things to make a more informed decision. Yeah, that's fantastic. And where can people find more information about that? Yeah. Um, so just going to delverse.com and then, you know, we actually, you can sign up for a free account and reach out to us and we'd love to, to chat with you, particularly if you're, if you're in that space. So. Yeah, awesome. And I think it's a really great service. I mean, I can speak as someone who's been in the industry for a while. I think actually the information that you guys present is actually really important when you think about engaging with potential customer organizations yeah. or just organizations in general, having a level of understanding about how these organizations work, who the people are, what their attitudes, what their tech stacks might be, a layer of customer empathy. I think it makes for a better conversation and a more, you know, more informed and more relevant conversation for both parties. So I think that is super important. I well, Anthony. That. Thank you so much for your time here today. It's been a pleasure and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on a future episode. And uh, thanks again. Thanks awesome. And to all our listeners out there, we'll see you next time on Ask a CISO.